Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest has spent her career changing the way people think and work. She's a coach who seeks to foster growth in a work environment with a calm and pragmatic approach to leading change. Please welcome Monique Jordan to the program. Monique, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, very interested to talk to you about Frontline. I know you've got a, a lot of experience uh, in that and a lot of experience in change management. Um, what I'd really like to kind of kick it off by is, is asking you, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing the deskless and frontline workforce today? Okay. Well, I like to start with talking a little bit about digital transformation. Like, what is it? Why is this sort of different than regular change management? Um, and then looking at how the deskless deskless worker is not different than, than the average person, and then kind of go go into um, what's different and, and unique about them. So first of all, I, I think when we think about digital transformation, it's really about how and when companies change the way that they work, they, they you know, whether it's reorganizing, whether it's adding new, new technology, but it's all about how can we better serve our customers. So we're looking to continually meet the ever-changing needs of customers. So it's never stagnant. It's always moving. Um, from that perspective, I think all people are dealing with change in a very sort of constant way all the, the time now. Um, nothing ever is stagnant. It's, it's, it's kind of, we talk about, are we getting back to BAU? But BAU is also always constantly changing, right? So when you think about change management and people in, in general, people are very adaptive. So they're able to change. All people are smart, capable, able, able of, uh, to solve problems, and therefore able to, to change and, and adapt. I think what's different about the deskless worker is sort of the point of view that they have that um, be because a deskless worker is almost always right in front of the, the customer or in the customer's environment, they have a point of view and an instinct about what's going on with that, that customer that um, other employees don't have who, who don't have that kind of close relationship. Also, I think what's different about the deskless worker is frequently change is done to them. They're not really seen as a partner in digital change. Um, they are seen as sort of the target of change. So those people way down there at the end of the process are going to start doing this different. And as long as we just let them know what's happening, train them, it's going to be perfectly fine and they'll they'll do whatever it is that, you know, the, the change. And yes, they will change. Yes, they will use that new technology. But, but it's not just about making sure they're using the new technology. It's also about making sure that the experience of the employee is good so that that translates to the experience of, of, of the customer. So I think that's how, how they're different. So do you think that that challenge, I, I like how you've, you frame that, you know, uh, you know, often change is done to them. 
um, particularly when it comes to technology. And I think that's a, certainly a theme we've, we've heard, a recurring theme we've heard on, on this show. Do you think that has become more exacerbated? Is it becoming less of a challenge? Is it becoming more of a challenge? And if so, why? I think it really all depends on the type of, of technology that we're talking about, right? So if it's technology that everybody's used to, because all of us have a great deal of technology in our lives, we just have smartphones and smart doorbells and smart everything else's. So from that perspective, there's some changes related to technology that are are easy for, for people to adapt to because they have a frame of reference for them. There's other changes, though, that, that are not. And, and I think the if you look at the, disti- the distinction between the deskless worker and the desk worker, is the desk worker is surrounded by sort of um, office technology all the time, right? They interact and everything they do is either via their one of their devices, their laptop, their tablet, their, their, their phone. Um, and a lot of the technology that they're used to is, is has been adapted for those types of environments. So when you're in that environment and something changes to that environment, you have a very solid uh, frame of reference to to, um, change from and and to understand and and adapt. If you're a deskless worker, a lot of times you don't have that type of technology that you're using on a regular day-to-day basis. You know, you're out in the field, you're out in in, in front of customers, you do have some technology. So it really depends on what technology is is changing. And I think we have to be mindful of, of the fact that there might be some technology changes that are easy for the desk workers because they have that reference that are going to be completely foreign to a a deskless worker. Um, And this sort of adds an added level layer of anxiety around that change, because not only are we changing whatever the technology is, but I'm not really comfortable with that technology in in the first place. So that it makes it, you know, equally more challenging. Yeah. It's really interesting, Monique. I think that that's a very, very good point, particularly um, to differentiate between the technology that is available to, um, you know, knowledge workers who typically are in a desk environment and and deskless workers. I was actually at a conference in person, believe it or not, this week, um, and there was a session. It was a very good session um, and a lot of uh, conversation around, you know, this move to a kind of a new hybrid workplace, um, obviously, you know, post pandemic. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is it's that conversation has generally revolved all around knowledge workers. Right. And I think even though it's still a, a huge challenge for organizations to even shift to a hybrid workforce just for their headquarters employees, right, their normal deskbound employees, there seems to be a, still a, a huge gap in thinking about, OK, how do we optimize a technology experience for the deskless worker, particularly in light of, you know, the new kind of, as you said, the new business as usual, right? right. Um, it just seems like there's just a, a, a gap there um, that people aren't really talking about, okay, how do we really think about the technologies that they need, right? They're obviously not going to be using Zoom. They're not going to be right. using the things that we use on our, on our, on our laptops. Um, What's your perspective? I mean, are, are, do you think it's a, it's a huge gap that 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 we're seeing in the, in the market right now? I definitely think it's it, it's a gap, and, and it's an it's an interesting gap because it's a gap that stems from a bias that, that we have, right? So we all have a bias in the way we see the world, and we, we we sort of come to whatever we're experiencing from our position as if 
everybody's in, in our, our position, right? So when, when an organization or uh, uh, decides they're going to change some technology, they're looking at it from the position that they have, which is they all have desks, they all have, have this, this technology. So what are the changes we need to make in a hybrid environment? Um, Again, I, I, you know, in change management, you you typically are supposed to involve the stakeholders, right, in the the design. Deskless workers sometimes, again, are way down the, the chain, so they're not always included. Sometimes we might include the deskless worker supervisor as a representative for the deskless worker. However, a lot of those supervisors do actually have a desk and they do actually use technology in a way that may be slightly different than their than their employees so I, I think the there is definitely a gap in part because there's a, a gap in perspective I do not have the perspective of a deskless worker if I'm a deskbound worker and and the opposite is also true I believe that the best way to um try to begin to resolve this is to invite deskless workers into to the conversation, right? And rather than have it be a tops down conversation, which it usually is, here's what we're gonna do as an organization and therefore here's what that's going to mean to you. Rather start with, specifically because we're talking about transformation. So, so start with what's transforming or what do we want to transform, right? We wanna transform our customer experience. So talk to the people who are directly um, in front of those customers who are out there in, in, in the field of about their current experience, about what might, you know, help and improve that, that experience, and then work it backwards into, well, here's some technology options we have or something we're getting ready to implement. What would that mean to, to you? Or how, how do we, you know, make sure that whatever we change here doesn't, you know, cause a, a problem way downstream? Because sometimes we do, we don't, we don't think about, you know, simple things like, oh, we're going to measure A. Well, how are you gonna collect that data? Now you're going to ask me as the deskless worker, oh, every hour I want you to go over here, get into your phone and put something in, in there so that I can have, have that data, which is unnatural, right? So it, it's not, it's not the, my natural flow of work. And it makes me nervous that I've got to do this extra weird thing that doesn't seem to flow in, into my, my day. So if we're implementing new technology we, and, and we're figuring out how to, to measure the, the impact you know, on our, our operation and our customer experience, then we need to consider how is that data actually collected in a way that's consistent and natural with the way we're asking this person to, to do their, their job. And that yeah. you can only get by talking with them. Yeah. And I, I'd love to dig in on this a little bit more. Um, and and I, I definitely want to get to that. What I also like to do, Monique, is for the benefit of our audience, just um, a little bit back, about your background, kind of, um, you know, um, you know, where you're at uh, today, what you've, you've been doing and what your involvement has been in kind of uh, helping um, implement change for frontline workers. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your, uh, your background? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I, I think I come at change management from sort of a different kind of atypical direction, right? Number one, I'm an operations person at heart. So at heart, I'm all about the net net. Are we being effective? Are we doing what we want to do? I'm also, you know, my personal mantra is creating conditions where people thrive naturally, because I strongly believe, and there's a bunch of scientific data 
to support this, but I won't go into that. I strongly believe that um, when people are thriving, they are doing their job well. They The experience of being an employee is excellent, and that translates directly into the, the experience of the, um, the, the customer. So my background has been in, you know, starting off with having a lot of change done to me, watching what's happening, thinking this this doesn't make sense. And why are we making this so, so complicated? Um, ultimately, I started working in change management, um, you know, doing giant implementations of technology. This is when change was, was pretty um, steady. I mean, not, not steady, but, but your environment was, was, was pretty steady. So it wasn't constant. So um, over time, I've worked in all kinds of change from technology changes to process to operating model changes with people inside companies with people outside companies. Um, the thing is, is the common denominator about change and no matter where you're doing it or what type is, is people. So if you always keep people first, understanding what's what drives behavior, understanding what makes things easy for, for people, then I think that's the best focus. So that's what I try to bring to my practice. Um, and what's, and, you know, you mentioned kind of large technology implementations and, 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 uh, and initiatives. Um, you do have a background with um, frontline workers who were at ServiceNow for quite some time. Isn't that correct? Yes, I did. I, I spent a couple of years with ServiceNow and my primary focus with ServiceNow was focusing on enablement for the sales teams. Okay. So it's really had, and these people are out there in front of customers. Some of the work I've done prior to, to them is also with sales teams, like people who are out there in front of the customer. One of the things that's always interesting when you're dealing with, with people who have to be front facing and especially revenue generators is that you don't have a lot of time to you know bring them into the office and let's have a conversation let's train you on all of these things so that that's i think another challenge of people who need to be out in in, in front of um the work you know out without a desk and in, in front of the clients and in the field you know you mentioned this con this this uh, notion of um of helping people thrive in their mm -hmm. environment right which leads to a more productive and and happy and and, and effective employee um I'm certainly not as familiar with the science behind it as you are. Um, how do how how can companies measure that? How do they know if people are thriving? Are there ways to kind of get to that? Uh, is it is there a quantitative measurement of that? Not that I know of directly, right? So there are certainly ways to measure organizational health. So you look at levels of engagement, you look at, you know, innovation, you look at your, uh, the ability of your company to, to change on a dime. So how agile are you? So those kinds of, of, of things. Um, I don't know of a very specific measurement for that. In fact, it's one of the things that I'm working on now um, is to develop a Thrive score, a, a way to go in and measure what exactly, or how likely are am I as an employee to thrive in this particular mm -hmm. environment, right? And um, so that that would be from from an employee perspective. I would like to know that if I go into a company. From a employer's perspective, I'd like to know: Am I doing? Do I have the right types of ways of working and managing and leading and engaging with with my staff that allows them to to thrive? So um, I'm trying to work on that right now. That's a company that I'm just launching, um, Six Sense Partners, to to develop that and, and do that. That's in the great. meantime, I'm focused very much still on driving change in, in companies. That's great. 
Uh, and I, I'd love to kind of catch up with you soon when, uh, when you've kind of, you know, really kind of, uh, digging into that, you know, the other thing you mentioned, you know, you, I think you, you kind of use early on in your career, you were working on a lot of large scale technology projects in, in an environment that perhaps wasn't, uh, where change wasn't a constant, right. There were, it was a more, I think, stable environment. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that associate change management, particularly when it comes to technology on a kind of project basis, right? There's a beginning and an end. But I think one of the things you mentioned earlier too, is that now there's not going to be a business as usual, right? Or a constant business as usual. Things are, are going to be constantly changing. How does an organization's approach to change management have to evolve to deal with that, right? Do we move from something that is thinking about change management related to projects to change management as being, no, this is an ongoing, um, an ongoing discipline, if you will? Definitely, I, I think we have to do that. And, and I do believe that most change practitioners are dealing with this all the time. What we end up with is sat saturating people with too much information. We also have to think about the world that people live in outside of work is also full of information, full of, of data that they're always constantly trying, trying to process, right? So we have these always on people who always have a device either in their hand or close to them that have tons of information coming to them. So as we continue to make changes in, in, in the workplace and in their workflow, the question becomes, how do we best engage with, with them? We certainly can't do it the way that we used to, which is just, oh, we'll just tell them, we'll send a communication out, we'll, we'll put a poster up because all this is just too much noise for, for people to, to consume. I think the shift has to be focused on workflow. So what is my work process? What are the things that I'm doing? And what change changes are coming to the workflow or my work process rather than what changes are coming to me because change is always focused on targeted at me and there's too much of it I, I can't you know so I'll give you an example we have every project that's run in a company spends time making sure everybody in the company knows about their project why? Why do I need to know the names of 15 different projects that are happening? I only need to know where in my workflow is whatever you're, you're doing going to impact me and tell me then I, I don't need all of this extra knowledge, right? I mean, that's, I think that's one of the big shifts that, that we have to have to make is that understanding that if you're focused, the focus change on my workflow and tell me these aspects of your process are, are going to change. I can understand that and I can consume that much better than if you have 15 projects talking to me about what it is that they're doing. I, I can't hold, hold on to that. It almost sounds like with the best intentions, right? We, that certain, certain times within a, a, a change process, we overcomplicate things and in try instead of trying to simplify it. Absolutely. It's, you know, look, I, it's interesting because if you go way back to when change management started, part of the problem is people weren't communicated to effectively, right? But as always, when the pendulum swings, starts to move, it overcorrects and then comes back and eventually it, 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 you know, settles down. But you also have the pendulum swinging towards, yes, we need to communicate more with people and the environment shifting at, at the same time. So we, we've shifted um, you know, the way we communicate to saying, yes, it's important to communicate people, let them know what's happening, why and when. However, <laughs> there's too much of it now. 
So now we've got to, 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 to adjust it. And I think a lot of it has to do with involving people directly in what we're, we're asking them to do and what needs to, to, to change. And, and, I, and for the deskless worker, I think this is sometimes very critical, especially when you have an organization that has the goals that they're, they're trying to achieve, some level of, of performance, looking at internal measures and then trying to translate that in, into the field. And sometimes there's, there's a disconnect, right? So I'll give you an example of that. I um, <clears throat> worked on a project with PG&E. They were working on their um, job package quality. And the, these are the, the instructions and all the data that the construction, the gas construction crews need to go out and dig the holes and do whatever they do with, with their construction, right? And um, the project had been going on for about a year. They were, you know, moving along, but at a very kind of slow pace. And I came on to, to do change. And one of the questions I asked them was, well, what is job package quality, right? So internally in headquarters, they're like, well, it's this. And they said a bunch of words and it didn't make any sense to me, right? I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't understand what it means. Um, and then we started talking to different stakeholders in the process and we realized, well, it means something different depending on, on who, who you are, right? So if you're the person that works on the maps, you want it this way. And if you're the person that's digging the holes, you want it this way. And if you're the contractor that's coming in, you need something different. So part of the problem it was in that particular project is the point of view from headquarters is very limited, right? They, they're, they're looking sort of at their end performance KPIs and looking for how we make improvements on that. What we ended up having to do is go out to the field. And we went out to the field and we had a couple of meetings. We brought these crews in full-on crews, like from, from beginning to end, sat them all around, around a table and had some great discussions about what quality even looks like. Like, well, you need to put this on the map. Like, no, I don't need to. You're giving me too much information on the map. All I need is assistant information. So there was that sort of back and forth because even in this workflow, these workers don't have those types of conversations. Like we we kind of silo them uh, to do their own thing. But if you think about it, imagine... I love sports analogies because they're really good ways to understand um, the logic that we're applying in, in, in a company and how that actually works. If you think about a basketball team um, and imagine that they're not, they're all kind of in silos and they're all just doing their, their own thing. It's not going to work out too well. They're, they have to be fluid and flowing as one. They need to talk to each other. They, they need to know when, you know, I might have tripped and fallen. So I really can't pass the ball to you that way. So I'm going to have to, to cover, right? There's, there's much more conversation and fluidity and just this, we are a team together achieving something versus I did my part with have no clue with what you're, you're doing, right? So it's just having that conversation, we were able to, um, define what is job package quality and not only come up with a clear definition of it, but get consensus on what that meant for each step of, of the way and ways to measure it. So it was, it was wonderful. And the people who participated in that, who were part of the, the conversation, absolutely loved it. They loved being in, in the conversation. They loved having an opportunity to say something. And they had a lot to say. It's like some people had this stuff bottled up for years where no one has asked them, just told them. And when you let them talk, they're, they're wise. Um, and it, it allows you, I think, to not have to figure everything out because they've got the answers. Most of the people who, who do things that don't make sense to them or are difficult or are challenging have thought of or could easily think of a better way to do it much 
uh, faster and more efficiently than somebody sitting in an office who's not that clear. Why, why do you think it is that companies make that type of mistake where they're not engaging with those frontline stakeholders? Is it, I mean, is it because they don't want to literally take them out of the field, right? They can't afford to take them out of the field. Is it just an oversight? Is it a lack of proper change management? And this example, it sounds like you were brought in kind of not early enough in the change process. Uh, it seems what, you know, what are the, why, why is that happening, especially in kind of this day and age? I think the primary reason, honestly, is that companies are, are challenged with getting a lot of work done and they don't want to take people out of the field. And I, I agree with that. I mean, the, from an operations perspective, right? The more I can keep you in front of the client, the more I can keep you out there doing whatever it is that, that, that you're doing, the better it is. The, the problem is, is we've got to think of what the trade-off is. Like everything that we do, there's always a, a, a trade-off, right? So if I trade off you spending another three hours out in the, out of the field with you spending three hours internally, what does that get me? And I really feel that we don't do a lot of enough thinking. And, and, and I, I understand why, right? Thinking feels like you're not doing anything, right? We, we, we're, we have this propensity to be busy, not necessarily productive. We have this propensity to run and get things done, right? And I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone in as a consultant and they, they tell me, well, you know, we are really fast paced here and it's going to be tough. And yeah, you guys are all running around like crazy, but you're not very pr productive. There's, there's clearly a, a difference. And, and that distinction or, or the ability to understand that depends on whether or not you can slow down enough to get clear enough as to what you're really doing and what problem we're really solving. You know, what are we solving for the right problem? Sometimes we just get going on things. I, I've had, I worked at a company once where the IT uh, came into a meeting and said, hey, we just spent, you know, five, $10 million last year doing all of these great stuff. Nobody's using any of this stuff that we pushed out to the field. Well, you solved the wrong problem, right? Not that, that it was bad, not that that technology isn't good. It's just not useful in this situation. So I, I think that the solution is having more conversations and being willing to make that trade-off between what is it that we want to accomplish, what problem are, are we solving, and getting the right people in, involved in, in that. Yeah, and I think this is a great segue for something um, I want to dive into, you mentioned digital transformation right at the beginning, um, you know, and, and having been involved in that, first of all, digital transformation can mean a lot of different things. I mean, it's, right. it's kind of this definition that's thrown around and um, it's, it's almost become an unfortunate buzz term because it, it lacks a bit of clarity from your perspective, what is drive, what, what does digital transformation mean to you, first of all, and kind of what's driving it for organizations, particularly with, with front line, large frontline workforces? I think the drive to digital um, transformation is, you know, reflected, I, I guess, if you look in 2020, when, when we had to deal with, with COVID, right? The extent to which you are able to quickly pivot and manage through whatever, you know, the environment is, is throwing at you really depends on your data. How good is your data? How accessible is, 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 is your data? Um, and how useful is, is your data? So I think what companies are finding is that over time, you know, 
we built systems back on mainframes and then we switched up and then somebody bought some software and they implemented that software and doesn't really talk to this other software. So that means they have to have all of this extra stuff around there in order to get something to flow through the entire process, right? Information to, to, to flow. Um, you also have, you know, much more um, big data and, and analytics and machine learning, all of these things, because everything is getting connected to the Internet. So with all of this data, we need a way to, to understand what does it mean? Like, what, what is the data saying? So what does that mean for us? And therefore, now what are we going to, to do about it? So to me, digital transformation is about answering all of those, those questions. And it starts with digitizing your data. <laughs> is your data available in a format that's usable and, and accessible when, when you, you need it? So I think that's, to me, um, what's happening and why the focus is usually primarily on the deskbound worker, because we don't always think about the deskless worker as somebody who's who has digital information or needs digital information, right? However, they need it more than somebody in the back just looking at something, right? So if, if I'm out talking to in front of a customer, talking to them, and they're asking me if I have this or if, if I, I can do this, it's not really a good customer experience if, if I have to go, well, let me go find somebody who knows the answer to that, right? Instead, I should have this type of technology available to me, and I should be able to, to quickly check something and, oh, here's the answer to you, and, and, and you know, but and not have to, to say, well, can you wait right here, and I'll, I'll go check with my supervisor or manager, right? That, that, that makes me as a frontline worker merely a channel for that customer versus someone that, that's re really representative of, of the company. I, I should be a company representative and able to answer their, their question. Well, I think it's very, you know, you're kind of talking about, I think even one of the challenges you said at the very beginning, which is, you know, technology being done and, you know, to these employees. And I think you even talked about an example, which is, Hey, you know, it's often we're asking uh, frontline workers to gather all this data, right? Um, and I think there's a notion of that, right? When we're pushing technology down to the frontline, it's really to gather information, um, gather information, rather than thinking about information as an empowering tool for the frontline. Do you see that changing at all? Is there a kind of mind shift happening now for organizations to think about, okay, how do we now, you know, take the data that we have and try to empower our frontline to be just what they are on the front lines in front, of, like you said, in front of the customers all the time. I do think that's changing. Unfortunately, it's changing very slowly. Um, you know, I mean, because this is not a new concept, this concept, this, this idea that people need to have access to the information that they need, that people at all levels of, of, the, of the company are very active um, and, and have a real value added contribution to, to make. Um, this is not, not new. I feel like it's circling back around it. It was, you know, there was a time back, you know, with um, total quality management that you heard a lot of these things, you know, coming up. You hear it again now um, when we're talking about being mindful we talk about, you know, diversity and inclusion, belonging, all of these, these things are really based on, on the same thing, which is human beings have value-added contributions to make to the teams that they're, they're a part of. If you design them well and let the teams be who, who they are, they're perfectly fine. And my favorite example of this is you turn on the TV and look at any natural disaster anywhere in, in the world ever. And what 
every reporter always seems to say, or somebody who's who's there, a, a, an official, is it's amazing how the people have just come together and figured out what to do and solved whatever the problem is. And I think it's not amazing. That's how we're wired, right? And too many times we strip that opportunity away. So whether that's changing, I think it's changing slowly. I think part of the reason it's changing and will change is because the generations of people that are coming to work now have a different expectation around information and, and involvement. I mean, if you look at sort of the great resignation that's been happening, it's the, the powers is shifting a, a, a little bit to, to employees, right? They're, they're trying to say, no, it's not just about, am I going to work so I can eat? I want to be fulfilled. I want to do meaningful work. I want to make a contribution that makes a difference. That's that's the thrive environment. That's what people will thrive in. It doesn't have to be any particular kind of work because people get enjoyment out of all kinds of things. But when you can even just help somebody put a smile on someone's face, that's a wonderful feeling for, for people. And I think that employees will begin to force this shift to happen. That's more that's, so than employers. Yeah, that's a great perspective. That's it's it's, it's very, very interesting. Um you know, and, and I think you're absolutely right, which is, you know, we, we often associate, particularly as we're talking with the great resignation, I think people are associating, oh, they're going places because they're making more money and, and all these things. But there are other factors involved in that. Uh, and, um, and and I think that what you kind of talked about is, is having that that ability to contribute, that, that ability to make an impact, that ability to be heard, right, which right. is kind of one of the things you said at the beginning. Um, is is a large determining factor of where people are going to choose to 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 work. Absolutely, and if you look at companies that have. Um that are, provide really, really good service. The reason they're able to provide really good service is because they push down a lot of the decision-making and accountability to the frontline worker. You can't do that if you don't have them fully engaged. You must, you must train them, not just on here are the very specific tools you need, but they need to have a broader sense context, right, for the customer that they're working with. So for instance, they need to understand how does, how does our business make money? What's important for our business? What's important for our customers? Can I look at the financial data so I know how we're doing and what, what we, we need to do? How do I understand what our, our inventory is if, if I'm in sales? Um, it's so critically important to push that information down to the people who are in front of the, the, the customer so they can provide the level of service that, that, that you want. Because more and more, you know, customers expect that the person I'm talking to needs to know things. It's, it's highly frustrating to talk to somebody who can't answer your question or who can't make a decision or who has to go get approval. And a lot of times it, approval has to go up four levels. It's like, this is ridiculous. If you think about how much money it's costing us and the overall customer experience, right? So that shift needs to happen. And yeah, it isn't about money. It is about doing meaningful stuff. You know, people want to, to, to be valued and they, and they want to do good things in, in the world. It's pretty simple. Yeah. And it's very interesting. If, if we tie this back to technology, I think one of the things you know, as you were kind of talking about this, which is, you know, customers get frustrated when, when things can't get done and employees are frustrated when they can't, um, uh, you know, affect change for their customers. I think one of the things is 
we often put technology in people's hands, right? You know, to help them do their quote unquote, to help them do their job. But I think too often the technology gets in the way, right? Or becomes a burden on them where I think what you're saying is, listen, we need to equip them with the tools that they need, but we need to do it in a way that allows them to now really engage, right? To make decisions, not to kind of, you know, fiddle with the technology that they've been given the whole time. I mean, when you were describing that, I mean, I'm sure you've been in a situation where, you know, you've stood in front of a frontline worker and they're trying to help you and the system isn't letting them do it right. Or they can't make that change here. And everybody's frustrated by that. Right. right. Um, um, and, and I think this segues nicely to something I want to talk a little bit about, um, which is, you know, I think you mentioned a little earlier is like, hey, we've invested all this money in this technology. People aren't using it, right? And and certainly one of the reasons that may be is I think the the issue you you mentioned, um, which was, well, you, you probably didn't really design it well to begin with. You didn't get the input that was needed. You've put something in place that isn't really what is needed for the front line. I do think there is another challenge, which is just adoption itself, which technology isn't always easy to use or necessarily intuitive to use. Um, and you alluded to that earlier, right? Which is, okay, you know, in some environments, it's it's very um, contextual for that individual and in others, it's not. What, if anything, makes adoption of technology, of new technology, more challenging for frontline workers than for, say, knowledge workers or deskbound workers? I mean, do you think it is more challenging? And if so, why? Again, I do, depending on, on the technology. And the reason why, I think, has to do with relevance. Um, and it also has to do with habits, right? So we are creatures of habits. So when you ask me to use a new technology and do something that I only have to do, let's say, out of my 40-hour week, I might do it for 30 minutes, it's going to take me a long time to figure out how to do that and get in the habit of doing whatever it is. So the learning curve takes a long time. It takes a long time before I'm proficient. The time from you introduce something and want me to do something different until the time I'm proficient, if that's really a long time, what happens is I'll find workarounds, right? Mm -hmm. I know that I'm uncomfortable doing this. I'm not going to keep doing it because I might make make a mistake. So I'm going to find a workaround. And this is this gets in the way of, of, of adoption is that I figure out how to do something different. I'll give you kind of a funny example of this is years ago, I worked for AT&T, was a service rep, and they introduced a new um, system. Now, it was the first time that they were inter introducing computers. I know I'm that old, <laughs> but it was the first time they were introducing computers from a paper-based system. And they said, well, in this call center, it's going to reduce our holding times. So our average time should be two minutes. Um, and I don't know what the time was before, but it was less, probably around three minutes. So what they said was like literally on day one, they said to the office, we want you guys to get a two-minute holding time. And if you do, we're taking everybody out to steak and lobster dinner. Okay. Well, how do you get a two-minute holding time on a system that you're not really comfortable with, right, that you don't have the proficiency on? I know. When you're on break, Eugene, go out and call in and hang up a bunch of times. So we have a bunch of these nanosecond calls, and they'll <laughs> average out. That's what happened, right? Now, that didn't happen because, you know, the, the people were just trying something evil. It's that you put a challenge in front of them that was not possible to, to do. So we created a workaround. There's another way to get there, right? So 
problem solve, right? So, so a lot of times with adoption, I think there's two things that we don't think about or introducing change. One is time to proficiency. How long is it going to take the average person to get good at, at doing this? Um, and the longer it takes, the more reinforcement is, is needed. So there's more practice op opportunity needed. Um, and the other thing is environmental fitness. To what extent is our environment naturally conducive to me working in this new way? So when we ask me to use a new technology that's inconsistent with my environment, like my customer wants me to do A, but you want, want me to, to do B, your, your adoption rates are, are going to, to plummet, right? So it's about proficiency. Um, and it's about um, environmental fitness. And then the other thing that I always consider is agency. Like, to what extent do I, as the individual, have to do this or can I find a way around it, right? So if you tell me, you know, you used to come in the front door, I want you to come in the side door, but you leave the side door open, all the windows open and the, and the front door still open, well, I'll probably still come in there, right? When everything else is locked, I have no choice but to go in, in the side then I'll figure out to, to, to go in, in the side, right? So you, we have to consider what is the person's day-to-day -day job look like? What are their challenges? What is it like in their environment? And, and, and how might they go around this is what I'm asking them, them to do, even really a legitimate ask of, of them. Right. So asking a group of people who have just now been introduced to these computers and this new system to drastically re reduce their call handling time right when they start using the system does not is not a good idea there's no way that can happen right it's a challenge that that can't legitimately been uh, be met so yeah, we and, get creative yeah and i think you know you you, you raise this good point about agency you you talked about listen people aren't doing this because they're evil um you know i think there's this this notion of and maybe there's some of this right is, is people are comfortable with what they've already been doing right so anytime you initiate a change there's anxiety involved with that right um you know but you know i think very often when organizations institute whether it's a new process or a new technology that enables that process um you know they 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 create a mandate right so it's it's interesting right which is this notion of agency is like okay we want to force people into a new path or a new pattern, right, of work. At the same time, if we create that mandate, but don't also create an environment, like you said, that is conducive for them to become proficient, then all of a sudden we've kind of created a recipe for disaster. Right. And, and this, this gets back to what I was saying earlier about spending more time in the thought process, like how do we actually make this work, right? And, and, and so you, you and, and those are the questions you need to ask yourself, you know, is there a workaround to, to this? Is this something that somebody can do? Does our environment reinforce it? I had another conversation once with the, with the VP on, um, they were, had introduced a new tool to their sales teams and their sales teams weren't using it. And he's like, well, you know, we spent all this money. It's all, it's brilliant. We've got all of this wonderful things. Yeah, but guess what? I am, I make my money by selling stuff. 
I don't have to do that to sell stuff. I'm not going to do that. So if you want that change in behavior, you must sort of shift the, the, the rewards, right? The environment has, has, to, has to shift, which could be as simple as, you know, when I come in for my regular meetings, you're asking me, have you show me that did you use this plan or use this tool or use something show me how how you're using it right a few times of me standing there in front of you going i i never did it that's going to be be a way to sort of reinforce me, me using it in addition you're going to have to change how you pay me to include some aspect of i'm doing this thing differently or i'm, I'm including something else because otherwise you're you're rewarding me to do a and you're asking me to do b i mean that's not a difficult choice for anybody yeah, mismatched incentives. Yes. So, um, how can we help you know frontline workers become more com comfortable with technology? What are some of the things we can do, techniques, approaches that we can help them? You know, you talk about that time to proficiency. What are things that you've seen that have been successful in uh, in getting there? I think there's there's a couple things. The first thing when you're introducing a technology that people don't have a really strong frame of reference for, you've got to get them comfortable with it, right? They can't be afraid to touch it like it's going to blow up or, or something. So that means that pre go live, pre when you're going to launch it, people need some practice time with it. They need to get comfortable. Even if they're not good at it yet, they need to be comfortable enough to not be worried that they're going to break or destroy or blow up something, right? That's, that's step one. Step two is, um, also pre go live, but, but probably just before you, you, you go live, you should be having conversations with, with teams or teams should be having conversations with e each other. So the whole frontline team should be talking to each other about, well, here's this new technology. How do we think it's going to work for us? Right. Because every environment is a little bit nuanced and different. Every culture has its cultural nuances. So while change management looks at the broad culture and and and, you know, communicates and engages with, with people based on that people need time to think about what that really means for us. And that gives them some opportunity to make their own adjustments without being told, okay, well, if we're going to need to use this technology and it's this, and I'm usually way over there, how am I going to get back over here to, to use this? They'll get very creative to solve that, that problem and they'll feel very engaged in, in it. Um, and then finally, once you go live, you need to make sure you have the right level of support. And you also need to be clear on what does business as usual look like? What is the level of performance we, we need? Um, what is the dip in performance that we're, or productivity that we're expecting right after we, we do this? Um, so that, and, and get the team engaged in that, right? So your, your team should know, okay, here's what we expect. So if I go back to when we introduced that system, it's going to take you guys longer to do this at first. That's fine, right? That's just fine. Just get comfortable with it. By this time, we should be getting good. And by this time, we should be even getting better than, than where, where we were. Engage me in that, that conversation so I can come up with ways, me and my team can come up with ways of, of how, how to fix it. And then make sure if we're not meeting those uh, you know, milestones with respect to proficiency, that you're providing reinforcement. Because if people aren't meeting those, those, uh, mile, those proficiency milestones, it's not because they just choose not to. There's something that's, that's in the way of them, them doing so, right? So that's what you need to think about is what are those things that might be in, in the way? Um, and then just not think of change as it stops at go live, which is a lot of what we do. Yes. Well, we're done, right? <laughs> change really starts at go live. 
because nothing has changed until go live. So if change starts at, at go live, then you need to make sure are people adapting to, to this new ways of, of working? Are they getting proficient at, at doing it? Is that proficiency translating into the level of, of performance that we want? To me, that's the real curve of change management. Yeah, I love that. I love, you know, a couple of great nuggets among the many you've just talked about there, which is, <laughs> you know, kind of this, you know, proficiency milestones, right? I think too often we expect that people are going to be able to learn something and then do it right away. And we know that that's just not how learning works. Right. right? Um, and, uh, and, and for some reason in technology, we expect that right. to happen right away. Um, and then change starts at go live. I think that's just uh, about as, you know, as dead on as it gets. And, and I think it goes back to that question I asked you at the beginning is we often think about change as, you know, there's a beginning, it starts at the beginning of the project and ends at the end of the project. And then we kind of wipe our hands, you know, our hands of it, but that's not the reality at all. Right. Um, particularly among the frontline where the frontline is always changing, right? We're bringing on new people, right? You know, the, in an ideal world, we should be now even refining that process, right? There's no way that you're right. going to get a technology project or initiative designed and implemented perfectly from, from go live. And so you're going to be making changes as you go ahead. So I think right. that's just fascinating. You have to, I mean, you really have to continually iterate because the other thing is the environment is changing too. So from the time that you started your project to go live, to, to go live plus three, the environment is not the, the same. And for frontline workers who are right there in that in environment, they're seeing these, these, these changes, right? If, if you're not directly there, you, you don't necessarily notice them. You might assume the environment is the same environment that it was before. Well, it isn't, it could have drastically changed. In addition, I think we should should be engaging frontline workers with questions around how do, how do you think this change is going to impact the customer experience, right? What are you seeing with, with, with what your customers are asking for now or expecting now that is consistent or inconsistent with this change that we're, we're making? That way we get kind of ahead of the curve on how is the environment changing, right? I, I, I don't want to take so long, you know, putting together my summer outfit that it's now fall. And when I finally go outside, I'm freezing to death because it has changed in, in, from, from the time that I started and, and until the time that I'm there. And I think frontline workers have that insight that, and, and a lot of times it's, it's intuitive, um, so that they don't, they don't even know to bring it up, right? It's just, it's just what they're seeing every single day. And it's not, they don't even notice that they, they know or notice that they, they notice it. So, so they, it would require deliberate conversations, you know, with leaders and front office or just with the whole front office. I mean, I honestly believe that the way we engage with, with people, with our management structure is part of the biggest problem that we, we have, that if we got rid of those management structures, allow teams to be self-managed teams, a lot of this would be a lot easier, but that's probably a different conversation. Yeah, I'm sure we could have an entire <laughs> podcast discussion just on that. And we may at some point in the future, but Monique, this has been a fantastic um, discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to spend today to share your thoughts with, with your audience, with, with our audience. And, and it's very clearly, you know, you've, you've had, just a wealth of experience, uh, not only in change projects, but specifically around technology and the frontline workers. So thanks again for joining us today. Um, Thank you. Where can people find you on LinkedIn? Uh, Monique Jordan, that's a great 
That's yes. probably the primary way. Um, mm-hmm. You are on Twitter at at Jordan, Jordan MHA. MHA at Jordan MHA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please, folks, if you're interested, reach out to Monique uh, as you can have. As you've heard, she's got a lot of stuff that she can share. Um, Monique, again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Thank you, Eugene. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. I, I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> and I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so we'll wrap it up here. Um, for those listening, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please rate and share the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And just a friendly reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn to share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode. 